This is a third in a series of podcasts from the British Society for Haematology, exploring different aspects of haematology practice. I'm Paula Bolton-Mags, a consultant haematologist recently retired from seven years as medical director of the Serious Hazards of Transfusion Scheme. In that capacity, I was a member of the Transfusion Task Force for the BSH. I'm also an honorary senior lecturer in the University of Manchester. I'm going to discuss some aspects of the updated guidelines on the use of irradiated cellular blood components, but this podcast is not a substitute for reading the guideline. These were difficult guidelines to write, because most of the information comes from the very rare case reports and some haemovigilance data. There are no published clinical trials, indeed they could never be done, and there's considerable variation in the recommendations between different national guidelines. These inconsistencies reflect the scarcity of data and also uncertainty surrounding disease mechanisms. First, I'll give some background on the use of irradiation and the new evidence on the etiology of transfusion-associated graft-versus-host disease. That's part one. Then I'm going to consider specific issues for Hodgkin and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, part two, and then I'll summarise the changes for paediatric transfusion in part three. Why is irradiation needed? The only purpose of irradiation is to eliminate viable lymphocytes in transfused cellular components, that is, red cells, platelets and granulocytes. Under some circumstances, donor lymphocytes may engraft in the recipient and cause transfusion-associated graft-versus-host disease. This is a very rare, but usually fatal, complication. It was first recognised in immunocompromised recipients in the 1960s, but later also in some patients with no impairment of immunity, particularly if the transfused blood components, derived from an HLA haploidentical donor, either unrelated or a family member. Japan uses universal irradiation of all labile blood components because a higher rate of transfusion-associated GVHD has been reported because the population has a restricted number of HLA tissue types. So who needs irradiated components? The previous BSH guidelines published in 1996 and 2011 focused on risks associated with weak immune systems, particularly a reduction in T-cell number and or function due to diseases or their therapy. The groups of patients for whom irradiation of cellular components is currently recommended is quite extensive, and the recommended duration varies, but for some it's lifelong. One objection to the 2011 guideline was that some recommendations are difficult or impossible to follow, particularly the recommendation for irradiated components for Hodgkin lymphoma patients for life. So what did we do? For this revision, we searched the literature between 2008 and 2019 using a very extensive list of terms. We also assessed cases reported to SHOT since 1996, both of transfusion-associated GVHD and cases where irradiation of cellular components was indicated but was missed. So what makes a patient at risk for transfusion-associated GVHD? Two important features have emerged from a worldwide review of cases which was published in 2015. Ilana Kopolovich and colleagues in Toronto reviewed 348 cases which they identified in the world literature between 1966 and 2013. Most of these were reported between 1990 and 1999. Interestingly, 227 of the 348, that's 65%, had no immune deficiency, although 121, that's 35%, did. 
but also 177, that's 51%, lacked any factor that would have triggered the need for irradiated cellular components. Sharing of HLA antigens between the donor and the recipient was the strongest risk factor in recipients without other typical indications for component irradiation. This was found in 71% of 84 cases with available HLA data. So immune competence as a risk factor for transfusion-associated GVHD is probably less significant than previously thought. The second observation was related to the age of the transfused red cells. It was notable that 148 out of 158 cases, that's 94%, where the storage times were recorded, were noted as fresh or less than 10 days old. Interestingly, there are no cases of transfusion-associated GVHD reported in the literature involving components stored for more than 14 days. So reflecting this, the new BSH recommendation is that in an emergency situation where irradiated components are unavailable, blood banks should consider preferentially issuing older red cells where possible, that is, more than 14 days old. So what did we learn from looking at the shot data? Altogether, 14 cases of transfusion-associated GVHD have been reported to SHOT since 1996. 12 of these were before the introduction of pre-storage leukodepletion in 1999. Only three cases have been reported since then, two in patients with B-cell diseases. Overall, none of the 14 cases occurred in patients considered at high risk of transfusion-associated GVHD at the time of transfusion. And so these individuals would not normally have received irradiated components. This included five patients with B-cell diseases. Irradiation is most often missed in patients treated with purine analogues, that's 46% reported to SHOT, and those with a history of Hodgkin lymphoma, 21%, or those treated with alemtuzumab, 8%. Overall, it appears that leukocyte depletion is sufficient to prevent or markedly reduce transfusion-associated GVHD, at least in immune-competent, non-HLA-matched recipients. However, it's not possible to test all the blood components for their residual lymphocytes. Typically, 1% are sampled. So there's still a risk of issuing an inadequately leukocyte-depleted component with the potential for transfusion-associated GVHD. Therefore, the recommendation for irradiation in addition to leukocyte depletion remains unchanged. So what other issues were raised prior to our revision? Transplant physicians have not been following the guidance to irradiate components for patients treated with alemtuzumab and did not consider this to be necessary. No cases of transfusion-associated GVHD have been reported in transplant recipients. Alemtuzumab is also used for some autoimmune diseases. So we considered all of these and the recommendation changed, mainly because the dose schedules are less in these conditions. So the recommendation says, use of irradiated cellular components is not indicated following treatment with alemtuzumab using the schedule currently recommended for multiple sclerosis or vasculitis, and use of irradiated components is not indicated for patients undergoing solid organ transplantation who have received alemtuzumab or ATG as induction therapy. Now we're going to move on to part two. The question is, should irradiation continue to be lifelong for patients who've had a diagnosis of Hodgkin lymphoma? And what about patients with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma? This remains controversial, and there's insufficient evidence, and so variation in the guidelines from different countries. 
The incidence of transfusion-associated GVHD in patients with lymphoma was reviewed in the 1996 guideline, citing two key references from the 1990s. Transfusion-associated GVHD was reported in non-Hodgkin lymphoma as well as in Hodgkin lymphoma, but non-Hodgkin lymphoma was thought to carry a lower risk. The recommendation was made that people with Hodgkin lymphoma at any stage, but not others with non-Hodgkin lymphoma, should receive irradiated components. The 1996 guideline did not specify lifelong. Lifelong was added in the 2011 revision, but without addition of any other evidence. Historical references note long-term impairment of immune function following Hodgkin lymphoma, but there's no relevant updated research to help establish whether lifelong is really necessary. Further research is certainly required. It would be helpful to have long-term analysis of immune function in patients at different stages of disease or in full remission. It is notable that no cases of transfusion-associated GVHD have been reported in patients with AIDS, where the T-lymphocyte depletion can be profound, in contrast to cases reported in immunocompetent recipients. So what do other guidelines tell us? In the Netherlands, they irradiate for Hodgkin lymphoma patients at stage 3 and 4, in other words, with bone marrow involvement. In Germany, irradiation is recommended for all stage of Hodgkin's lymphoma as well as non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. In Australia and New Zealand, the guidelines of 2011, they recommend that patients with Hodgkin lymphoma should receive irradiated cellular blood components at all stages of disease and therapy. Consideration should also be given to transfusing irradiated components to patients with B-cell malignancies whose treatment leads to lymphopenia, i.e. less than 0.5 times 10 to the 9 per litre. Consideration should also be given to transfusing irradiated cellular components to patients with B and T-cell non-Hodgkin lymphoma. In addition to these guidelines, all three Canadian and one United States hospital cited in the Kapolovich study irradiate for all lymphoid malignancies, but that paper didn't specify the duration. However, for the revised BSH guidelines, our recommendations are that all adults and children with Hodgkin lymphoma at any stage of the disease should have irradiated red cells and platelets indefinitely. There is no change for non-Hodgkin lymphoma or B-cell diseases unless they meet other criteria, for example, relating to the treatment they've had or whether they're having a stem cell transplant. In the third part, I'm going to discuss some of the major changes since the last guideline. There aren't many, but these relate to children. Firstly, neonates and infants with suspected immunodeficiency syndromes should undergo T-lymphocyte counts prior to cardiac surgery wherever that's possible. If the T-lymphocyte count is more than 400 cells per microliter, of which more than 30% are naive T-lymphocytes, there's no need to irradiate red cells or platelets. If it's not possible to undertake T-cell counting prior to surgery, then irradiated components should be given until the immunone tests have been undertaken. Secondly, adults referred for elective cardiac surgery for problems associated with the DeGeorge syndrome or in whom DeGeorge anomaly is suspected do not need to receive irradiated blood components unless there is a significant history consistent with T-lymphocyte-associated immune deficiency. This is because the risk of transfusion-associated GVHD is extremely low. So in conclusion, 
I've reviewed some of the updates to the guidelines for irradiated cellular blood components. Recent evidence suggests that HLA relationships and fresh components are more likely associated with an increased risk rather than immune suppression. There's international variation in practice because the evidence is based on minimal data, mainly case reports or haemovigilance. Using modern tests of immune function, research could be undertaken for patients with Hodgkin and other B and T cell disorders to answer some of the questions about the need for irradiation and the duration. But we must always remember that guidelines are not rules and the clinician must make the best decision for the patient in front of him or her. So thanks for listening. Do visit the BSH website to find more exciting podcasts about various important guidelines.